heroes are an inspiring group of people. Every one of them, from the larger-than-life comic book heroes you see on the big silver screen to the everyday heroes that let us live the privileged lives we do. Every hero has a story to tell. The doctor saving lives at your local hospital. The war veteran down the street who risked his lives for our freedom. The police officers and firefighters who risk their safety to ensure ours. Every hero is special and every story worth telling. But there is one class of heroes that I think is often ignored. The entrepreneur. The creator. The producer. The ones who look at the problems in this world and think to themselves, you know what? I can fix that. I can help people. And I can make a difference. Then they go out and do exactly that by creating a new product or introducing a new service. Some go on to change the world. Others make a world of difference to their customers. Welcome to The Hero Show. Join us as we pull back the masks of the world's finest heropreneurs and learn the secrets to their powers, their success, and their influence. So you can use those secrets to attract more sales, make more money, and experience more freedom in your business. I'm your host, Richard Matthews, and we are on in three, two, one. Hello and welcome back to The Hero Show. My name is uh, Richard Matthews. I am on the line today with Amanda McIntosh, founder and CEO of Take My Face, Face Off. Are you there, Amanda? I am. Nice to be here. Awesome. Glad to have you here. Let me uh, do a quick introduction for you just so uh, people know who you are and why we're chatting with you. So Amanda is the founder and CEO of Take My Face Off, which is a Los Angeles-based company on a mission to replace disposable cleansers. Um, and you guys work with, um, if I'm not mistaken, it's like face cloths. Is that what, what it is that you guys make? Yeah, you can think of it like fancy washcloths. Fancy washcloths. So tell me a little bit about um, what it is that your company is known for? Like, why, why do people buy your products? Why do they come to you guys? What is it that uh, sets you guys apart? Mm. Um, because there's kind of a big white space, and I'm assuming that some other people are going to rush in to fill it after a while. But um, it started because I own washcloths, you probably own washcloths, especially kids, but um, almost nobody I know likes their washcloth. It's pretty rough, it's pretty gross. And so I just kind of this as a fun, silly product um, because selfishly I wanted something gentler for my face. I've got, you know, years of skin problems and whatever. Um, and then I started looking more closely at the beauty market. And the thing is that cotton balls, disposable wipes, um, there's an array of things that people use to clean their face, like on a daily basis, that mm -hmm. are really not good for their skin, not soft, effective to me importantly they're really awful for the planet and you know there are a lot of things in life that we kind of go along doing and then there's either a news story or something makes you realize maybe that wasn't the world's greatest idea you know like yeah. plastic water bottles or plastic bags and then we all kind of like slowly shift our behavior and then the new normal is to not use that and kind of um trying to speed along message that a disposable thing you put in the trash every single day to clean your face this is not a very healthy thing for any of us, your skin, your wallet. Um, but meanwhile, I mean, you're never going to guilt anybody into making a change. You're never going to scare yeah. them. Well, I, I hope people don't guilt or scare people into making a change. So what we're doing is we, we work to create things that are so unbelievably soft, great for your skin and effective and faster to use that people switch just because it's so much better. And then for me, I get this satisfaction of knowing that I'm doing something to change something, but we're trying to yeah. do it in, in the happiest, happiest way. <laughs> That's awesome. So what's the uh, name of your main product? The, we would say the heat is called the MIDI. It's kind of the, the fundamental starting. We've got some other branch off products and we've got lots of other plans, but um, it's a little mitt 
that sits on your hand and it's patent pending because there are various ways that you, you can of course sew things to make them work better and to make them mm. more efficient and effective. Um, and so, you know, ours has like a little happy pointy tip that can really get into your mascara lash line area. And we've got some other fun ones that for example are shaped like lips. So it's kind of hilarious, but they're all made of these amazing fabrics. That, that is funny. They're so much better for skin and they wash clean. Like we, it's such a fancy fabric that none of our testers have even worn out. When people say, how long did they last? We have to say, we don't know. Cause I've yet to hear of one that's, that's died. So. That's really cool. And how long have you guys been making these, um, these, uh, face cleansers? Um, well, I can tell you the earliest prototypes are four years old, but we've been doing this pretty seriously for about three years. And first we kind of thought that maybe we'd start off actually in the baby market because I've got kids like you. Yeah. And I you probably hear my baby crying I, in the background. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, I should yeah. send you some of your kids actually because I was starting it for me because I wanted something gentler, but then my kids would like, you know, waddle over to the couch where I was doing laundry and they pick some of my prototypes and they put them on their hands and they play with them. And then I found out that when I was um, bathing my kids, if I gave them, I mean, they were little at this time, if I gave them a midi, they didn't get soap in their eyes. They could manage it perfectly well. And it was sensitive enough, even if they were having some eczema or something. So we kind of thought we'd start with baby, but then we realized that it was just a stronger position to start off in beauty. And then we're gonna go to baby later. That's really cool that you guys are uh, in that space and you guys have plans for that. So I'm curious, um, I want to talk a little bit about um, how this happened, right? So your your origin story. We, we talk, you know, every hero has an origin story. It's where you started to realize that uh, you know we're different. Maybe you had superpowers, right? Maybe you could use them to help other people. Um, it's where you sort of started to develop and and uh, discover the value you could bring to this world, and uh, you know, start a company and become an entrepreneur. What was that? What was that story and journey like for you? Um, you know, I'd say the 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 just the where i came from i came from a world that i probably don't really belong in and that kind of turned into the strength um i started off in classical music and i love it cool. and i love playing and it's it's you know it's a part of my brain that isn't scratched by anything else it's wonderful but i did that in my late 30s and i always felt like such a weirdo there um was reading weird books and you know watching weird movies you know foreign language whatever i mean in music school and professional life i don't know and um i didn't i didn't like i thought everybody in the world is always kind of feeling odd everybody always feels kind of lonely it's just normal and it, it took me years to realize no maybe it's actually just kind of me but it's it was a good position to term feeling weird and getting used to feeling weird and one of my problems with, with classical music is that it's a little bit like Groundhog Day. I don't do well in Groundhog Day. I need something to be going somewhere. Yeah. There needs to be forward motion for the long term. And so I'm always things, I, I did some other things for a while. I did some consulting. For 14 years, I was a, a business process consultant because my family has a practice. Uh, I did that and kind of loved it. But one day I was right, driving home late from a concert and kind of thinking about my nighttime face washing thing, because if you're skincare, it's a big deal. I was like, oh, I'm out of those washcloths, and I hate those washcloths. Man, I haven't been able to find any better ones. This is just so stupid. I keep running out, because I'm not doing laundry fast enough, and meanwhile, I want to buy more, but I can't find any that are any good. 
So, you know, kind of a typical light bulb moment. Well, wait a minute, how hard can this be? I will do it. And um, that ability to be the weird one, to be asking questions that other people don't, to be thinking about topics that nobody else I seem to know thinks about, to be investigating things that nobody else seems to, to be interested in. That made it a lot easier for me for when I started finding, you know, what are the places you at in Los Angeles? Well, they've got a huge garment market. So there's, there's an endless array of sources. And you talk to them, you say, what would be good for bath use, for wet use? And they're like, terry cloth, duh. I'm like, terry cloth is terrible. What's what everybody uses? So it enabled me to go out and get creative and find weird things and try things. And when, you know, manufacturers literally told me, you can't sew that fabric into that shape with these machines that will cost you too much. I went and bought the exact same machines they had at the factory, taught myself how to use them, taught myself pattern back and said, well, how about this? Um, it's, it's, a, it's a real to not always feel the need to fit in exactly, you know? Yeah, absolutely. The only real way to actually make a change is to not be the same as everybody else. So did you have to, um, are you still manufacturing them yourselves or did you have to like train a manufacturer how to sew these things? Um, well, the way it first worked out was that I always wanted this to scale. So I always knew that, you know, there's only so much I can do myself. But the problem was is that nobody, all the normal ways, all the normal and manufacturers kept telling me it can't be done. So that's when I, I took it into my own hands for a while. And I learned that whole side of the industry. And that was, that's the, the garment industry in LA, even though we're beauty. Um, and so I argued some people into making it for me. Um, and a lot of factors had to come together and it was the right moment. And like me spring a second that, hey, I do speak Spanish and I've been understanding <clears throat> what you've been saying about me behind your, you know, under, underneath your that's not true here's what's true and here's how you adjust the machine and do that but i didn't i didn't want to actually do it myself i help and i needed to get sneaky about it so i convinced a really great factory in los angeles who makes sportswear for some of the world's most ethical brands to make my product which was great. is there a lot in la that will make the make products for you they don't their workers fairly they do not all have safe working conditions not all Run their business as well and so I, I wanted to make sure supporting the right people so i got this company that's a good one to make my product um i'm a small customer so they're not going to give me the best price um, i've had to get creative and i found partners in other places and so now i've got a really cool network kind of depending on what product we're making how many we're making who can make it for me and some of them are little one people shops out in the boonies where they have the sewing skills and they would love to work and sometimes it's a larger factory, depending on what we do. So I don't, I don't make them myself. I still do make prototypes because it's just kind of fun to get in there. And I, I found that nobody's going to really dig into how could we make this better, cheaper, cuter, make it to last longer. No one's going to work harder at that than I am. But then I back off and I let yeah. somebody else. Yeah. That's really cool. And it's a, it's an interesting story that I think, um, um, a lot of entrepreneurs miss when they are building a company that one of the things that's going to set you apart is, that innovation, right? Where you're like, people are telling you this can't be done and you're finding, okay, here's ways that we can actually make it happen. Um, so you're creating, you're creating innovation in a space that probably doesn't see a lot of it. Um, so you can, you can have a, have, you can corner a market that way. I like to think so. We've, we've got everything as tied up as we can with trademarks and patents and trying to continuously innovate. But yeah, and, and I think anytime somebody tells you something can't be done, 
man, that's, that's just tempting. I don't know. That's, to me, that's the biggest, <laughs> really. And why to be done? Have you tried? Hmm. Let's find out. Yeah. I, uh, my brother and I laugh all the time and people ask us all the time. They're like, you know, um, can, can this be done or can the other thing be done? And the, the, uh, the response to that is always yes. The question is how much time and money do you have to invest in making it happen? Because we can always find a way to make it happen. You have to be selective about which problems you try to solve. I was, I was yeah. whining to one of my mentors the other day about um, some problems we face as a tiny company. Like we've got a lot of experts who love our product, but the, the mass market penetration, I'm, I'm not seeing the immediate you know, answer to that right now. And he just looked at me and he said, he said, well, if you want to be all rule bound and do it like everybody else, fine. It might not work out. He's like, why are you to find the creative ways? Come on, quit, quit following the rules. I was like, right, right. Quit following the rules. What am I thinking? <laughs> yeah. Um, and so it sounds like you're on, on the cusp of having a really big brand then if that's the way you're thinking about it. <laughs> uh, great to be so, yes. So... Let's talk a little bit about your superpowers. Personally, as someone who's running the company, what is it that you think you bring to the table um, that you think really helps solve problems for your company, for your clients, um, you know, the things that you use to slay this world's villain, so to speak? Well, I already talked about one of them, but it's related to the second one. So I, like I said, I'm, I'm good. I'm, I'm bound to do all the same things other people do. Um, so the way I, I think of it is I, I'm not such a nerd that I can't see trends and that I can't see style, you know, and I have an eye for things. Um, but I have enough independence to not be a slave to styles, to what everybody else is doing. I'm capable of seeing what, like, what's the general aesthetic of our time or in this area, what's trending or whatever, but I can back off a little from it. And I have my little superpower is that I have a sense of how long, like relative to other trends, how long that one might last. And I have a sense of what might come after, which you can say is intuition. You can also say it's just simple logic. I mean, so if you're going to look at things like colors, um, shapes, styles, you know, we tend to go in a progression. When I was younger in the 80s, the 1950s were in style. So it would stand to reason that something that would follow after that might be related to the 1960s. And again, you can think of it from kind of the intuition thing, or you can yeah, look at it from just sense. the way that we tend to repeat certain types of things in the, in the visual sphere of Western culture over and over again. And so this also helps me with regard to um, the financial markets a little bit. So my consulting job gave me a nice, some of the bonuses went into retirement, gave me a little bit of a nest egg there. But then all I kept, I kept meeting male financial advisors who kept telling me, little missy, don't stocks to buy. I'm the one who knows. And I got told that just too many times and watching again and again, the stock I wanted them doing well. And they, you know, convinced me not to. So I finally got angry and just started managing the account myself. And I, I certainly can't, you know, divine everything about um, all the stocks in the world. That's ridiculous. But I certainly can tell you certain things that a trend. And you, I mean, you go into stores, retail can be easy for this. You go into stores and you can get, kind of get a sense of how things are being run. My consultant's brain helped me pick up some of the subtle signs that some things are going well or not. You look at what's on the floor. Is it in line with trends? 
Where is it? Is it behind the times? How's it looking? And you can make some guesses. And I was good at that. And I was able to grow that account. And that actually became the nest egg that turned into take my face off. So that's what launched that. My superpower is the ability to be enough part of everything that I kind of get it and be enough separate that I can, I can make some about which trends I want to go with and have an idea as to where it might go next. Yeah. So it's, it's a kind of, um, I, I haven't named that superpower, but you okay. see it a lot in, in uh, CEOs that are fronting industries. Right. Mm -hmm. So like if you, you watched Steve Jobs over the last, you know, the last 20 years before he died, he was, he was just ahead of the curve on everything, right. On their, uh, on all the things that they were developing and stuff like that. And you see that in, uh, in, in lots of spaces where you see the, the really smart entrepreneurs are going to where the puck is going, right. They're, they're, they're just ahead of where, where everyone is. <laughs> right. And it's like, I don't know, just big time example is, you know, anytime you see the baby boomers moving into a market, right? You, you know, if they're, if the baby boomers are moving there, there's a lot of money moving into that market. So getting there before them is generally a smart move, right? One of those kind of trends. Right? So it sounds like you're able to, uh, to see that kind of stuff in your space. Uh, yeah, I, I joke with my husband that I'm never going to be like a crazy visionary who's going to entire, you know, imagine an entire new world. No, I can just sometimes get a good hunch as to what's a couple steps ahead. Yeah. Sometimes you can see where the puck is going to be. It plays out time-wise. Sometimes, often it takes things longer to play out than I expect. But when I get one of those hunches, it happens. And so like, you know, I started this a couple of years ago, obviously, and I was concerned that reusable replacement for wipes and cotton balls. And I can, I can talk your ear off about why wipes and co even cotton balls, even though cotton's plant-based, I can talk to you forever about why it's frightening for the planet but whatever um so i was a couple years ago i was like why might be too late it just seems like you know any second people are going to be talking about how wipes are the next big environmental disaster and, and and you know and i've been waiting and waiting and it's taken a while um but it is coming and it is uh, we're seeing it happen now it just took a little longer than i thought but i'm so lucky because of course it's given me a lot of time to make some little mistakes and you know, refine yeah, things. Have your company set up and ready to uh, take advantage of the trend as it's growing, which is that's a cool place to be with your business. So the the other side of your superpower would be your fatal flaw, right? Superman has his kryptonite. It's the thing in your life that you struggle with that you think holds your business back. Um, you know, maybe a personality quirk or maybe something that you just struggle with with the uh, the market stuff like that. What is it and what have you done to help overcome it for other people who might run into something similar? Mm. I have, I have two, only, only one of them really negatively affects my business. Um, my, my personal kind of one is probably just frustrating to the people I work with, which is that I'm an optimist and I figure out, you know, I don't, I don't try to tackle the world's largest problem try to tackle the problems that I have a hunch I can solve. You know what I mean? And then once I have a hunch I can solve it, I am tenacious. I am not stopping. Um, and then I'm an optimist, of course, assuming it's going to be fixable. And then sometimes you run into a lot of difficulties or expenses before you can finish it. So it, it leads to overpromise sometimes. 
um, about when I'll get something done because I didn't realize I'd have to learn through software first or whatever. Yeah. Um, but it'll happen. But the one that really affects my business is that, so with this um, thing where I can, I can kind of see trends and get it, the reason I can do that is because I'm detail oriented. Um, I'm detail oriented, but I see a big picture. So I'm a good combination of, I can get into the weeds, but I see an arc. And with the detail, I can sometimes get stuck there. And I can get stuck, as my mentor teased me, into playing by the rules, because I understand the rules, and I can see how they go, and I can figure them out, and I can find ways to follow them even on a smaller budget. Um, and then sometimes I kind of get, get lost over there, and I have to pull back and say, wait, what's the point? Is the point to be a company that's to do everything the way everybody else is or is it to make a big change and introduce a big thing and to change people's thinking so i have to ignore my good student nature ignore good good uh, detailed brain nature and step back and say broad strokes big stuff what 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 do you do here yeah that makes a lot of sense sometimes you have to uh to you know battles right so, so to speak on on you know what's important to actually move the needle forward with revenue and growth and stuff in your business. Yeah. And, you know, um, one of the hard things about doing something differently is that all the people who've been there for a long time, who have a lot of excellent knowledge, want to tell you all the ways to do everything. And if you're a beauty company, you must this, that, and the other. And it's always kind of challenging to decide which people's advice you're going to take and which ones you're not. Um, which one work for you in which ones you're literally there to smash you know how is your business yeah. going to be different um how's it going to be better how's it going to catch attention how how's it going to break through you're not going to break through by doing everything the way everybody else does unless you put a massive amount of money behind it if you want to be just yeah. like everybody incredibly successful if you have a massive marketing budget that is one way to catch people's eye but if you don't have a massive marketing budget, then you're going to have to do some things different. All these well-meaning people who really are smart, really have to this, that, and the other. It's interesting. It's like, we got to listen to them because you got to learn a lot about the industry and you've got, you've, there are a few things that you should do in line with it um, to, to be able to identify yourself as even belonging in that industry. If you, if I want to speak to beauty consumers, there are certain things I have to do so they understand that I'm a beauty company. But then I can do some other things mm -hmm. to break out. And that's just up to me is where, where am I going to do something differently? And especially every time you have a problem, that's your opportunity to do something differently. So one of my fatal flaws is that sometimes I try to solve the problems the way everybody else solves the problems. And I should be getting a little more flexible. Yeah, and it's, it's an interesting thing you have, to, you have to learn too, right? Because you have to learn which of these rules, so to speak, are actually rules right? Like which ones are like gravity and every time you jump off the building, you're going to fall down and which ones are, uh, <laughs> which ones are things that are open for change and reinterpretation. And, you know, cause people looking into their past, they don't necessarily have that own filter, right? They don't, they can't look at everything and be like, which ones of these things are things that I learned because that's just the way the industry is, the way people work, right? The, you know, human buying psychology that's not really going to change mm -hmm. and which ones were things because I innovated, right? I changed something, right? I did something different. Um, you know, which ones are open for, interpretation yeah yeah and, it, so. and it's different for everybody it's different for every company it's different for every industry um and that's 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 like kind of like the i don't know it's it's all it's awesome but it's also a little lonely you know because you really yeah. you, you have to you have 
have to politely say no to some people. You have to politely turn away from some things they tell you. You have to have the strength of mind to say no matter how certain they are, or how smart they are, it just may not be the right answer. And then it can lead to some self-doubt, but, but it, I don't know. I guess for me, the, the good stuff and the bad stuff, two sides of all the same thing. Absolutely. So let's talk a little bit about, um, about your common enemy, right? So common enemy is something that you are working to remove in your, um, in your client's life, in your customer's lives. Um, that, you know, if you could wave your magic wand and make your lives better with your products, with your services, what is the thing that you're fighting against? Hmm. Okay. Well, my real enemy that I'm fighting against, of course, is needless waste and pollution. The industrial byproducts of using a piece of um, spun plastic to clean your face every day, throwing it away, and then using another one tomorrow. And the packaging and the transportation that comes with that. Um, that's the real enemy. But for my consumers, you know, most of my consumers are very focused on their skin and um, taking care of their skin and how are they going to keep their skin looking as good as long as possible and um, how do they remove makeup more effectively or, or how do I how do I take my makeup off without it taking a long time because I just want and so the common enemy for them um, for me I'm fighting my I'm fighting tired I don't want to say laziness it, you know if you ask a take your makeup off before bedtime your dermatologist tells you it's incredibly important. Why don't you do it? Say laziness. I hate to call it laziness, but, um, and then on the flip side, we're fighting um, a beauty market that tells people that they need to do like steps before bedtime, that you need a makeup remover and a cleanser and an exfoliator and a night cream and an eye cream. And I mean, it, it goes on. There literally 10, 10, 10 step skincare regimen is a thing. A pile of things. A pile of things. And um, actually, as a lot of dermatologists would tell us, it's not actually good for skin. It is expensive. It is time consuming. It is overwhelming. There's a lot of confusion about what order do I do it in? How do I do it? Oh, it's also bad for you. It's, um, it's bad for skin. Too much stuff. It, your skin has a natural barrier function. It's protecting you from the outside world. And the more you do to your skin, the more you're um, impacting your skin's ability to perform as a barrier. You're impinging the barrier causes inflammation, which can turn into acne or eczema or other stuff. So I'm fighting against an industry that wants to make it really expensive. I'm fighting about, on, on the flip side, I'm fighting people who just don't even feel like doing anything before they go to bed. And so we're, we're trying to, we're, we're trying to be everything in one. We're, we're more convenient, we're gentler, we're softer, we're quicker. We are not trash. And that's one of the things I'm most proud of is that we actually, we actually do really well solve all of those problems. And the people who, who get used to it, they get, they get hooked so convenient and fast. They notice yeah, their skin's really awesome. Oh, and wipes. And then, yeah, thanks. And so it's, it's, um, we're, we're proud of all of this, but it's, it's, and it's better for the planet, you know, just as a like a side benefit. Um, one, of, one of the things I've been uh, been talking about with a couple of uh, guests on the show is this idea of um, positive commerce, I think is the, uh, the word people are using, like, uh, or cause focused commerce, where we're as we become wealthier and wealthier as a nation and as a people, we are seeing um, 
people care more about the products and the impact that they have. And if you've got a choice between, you know, in, in our case, 500 versions of everything, you can choose to be choosy, right? You can choose the companies that are doing good things and that are having a positive impact on, on our planet and our communities and, you know, people around us, which is a really cool place to be as a business. Yeah, it, it feels really good. It causes me some additional self-doubt because you good student and I like to follow the rules and I like to do it thoroughly. So on one hand, I'm really happy that I'm, I'm producing a product that replaces thousands and thousands of disposables. Each one, each one of my products replaces many, many thousands of pieces of trash and keeps them from being created, transported, disposed of, all that. On the, on the flip side, I'm kind of bummed out that I'm like, well, why do I have to have a package at all? Or, you know, how could I have a truly reusable package that is also green to produce? Or how could I, how could I be completely no, like, how can we not even have to ship something to a customer? That's not going to happen. So, but I keep going at each level. It's like, well, maybe it should be produced out of a, a recycled content yet compostable, you know, envelope that blah, 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 blah. And um, that can, that can stop me again from here. It, it bothers me. It keeps me up at night. It keeps me looking for more stuff. Um, but then that's also gratifying, you know, so if I found the first big piece in the puzzle, which is the product itself replaces a lot of, a lot of disposables. And now we're going for like the carbon footprint packaging we can get. And, um, we're just going to keep, keep doing all of that. Um, hopefully with so many other companies and all of this incremental progress makes everything better. So random thought for you you can do with this what you will but i had a product shipped to me a while back that the box they shipped it in was not branded for the company it was branded like a um what would you call it it was branded branded as like something you would use in your house like as a design a design thing like like something you might find at pier one imports or something that's nice. So, and the, the idea was that you could, the box that it came in was like, you could use it as a jewelry box on your, your, uh, um, on your counter or whatever, um, or use it in the kitchen or whatever as, as a storage thing. And it's like, it, and it specifically said in the box is like the, you know, you'll notice that, you know, the, and the, the boxes came with different styles and whatnot. And they just, they just sort of shipped out randomly. It was just a fun thing they did with their products to make their, you want to keep their box. And I was like, that's kind of a cool idea. So I don't know if that fits for what you guys are doing, but there's my idea for the day. No, that's, and that's actually, um, you just really well described two options that a company like me can follow. And we can either say, let's make every single thing we produce a little bit more valuable, useful, give it a second life. Um, or we can say, let's produce as little as possible, just however we can make it have, um, be thin as fleeting as recyclable as compostable and um you know with all of these like you know free reusable bags or stuff like that that's that's one way for people to go and the, the extra benefit of that is that there's this whole you know consumer goods part of the thing is that it comes in is actually the biggest piece of marketing because that's the part that stays with them the longest you know the purchase on the website or in retail whatever but it's that that thing and if they unbox it at home uh, that came in the post, then that, that's actually uh, just time-wise, that they're spending much more brand image. 
So that's one reason why you might want to give them something that sticks with them longer. And in this case, I love it. It's, it's like a feel good. You remember the brand, even though it's not actually branded, but you that, that warm fuzzy feeling of, oh, look at what they did. And if you use it for your jewelry box, you're probably still gonna remember that brand, even though it doesn't have their name on it. And that's excellent. But the other way is that I'm kind of the, the other day, uh, the other, these days I'm a little bit on the other side, which is that um, I have so many things um, reusable that and the other and it's gotten to the point where I'm up to here with them and unfortunately a lot of those are not recyclable because to make an item a little bit more long-lived and a little bit nicer typically the things that go into it make it not recyclable and so I'm actually kind of going the other directions like how can I make the 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 how can I still look like a beauty company? How can I still look like it's a nice product? Because it is. We make it in the USA out of the fanciest stuff we can. And how can I give that yet actually make the, the, the materials disappear as fast as possible and have as little carbon imprint? Because I don't actually think anybody in the world wants another little cute reusable bag or another, re we get, we're filled up, man. <laughs> yeah, and it's an, it's an interesting, uh, interesting game you have to play, right? Because right? you, we can't make things magically appear on our clients' decks yet, right? We don't have teleportation stuff. So like you have to actually still ship product, you know, it has to go through the post, has to come in a package of some sort, um, yeah. right? And so you have to deal with some of those, some of those realities, right? Stuff that you have to do um, and just what's the best way to do it. So I'm sure, I'm sure you will come up with a really incredible solution um, for that as you uh, continue to grow. Um, and what's cool is as you develop those things, those become part of your brand story, right? And, you know, a story that you can tell and get people engaged with, uh, with your brand. So I think it's, it's a good thing all the way around. Thank you. So the other side of your common enemy is your driving force, right? If your common enemy is what you fight against, your driving force is what you fight for, right? Just like Spider-Man fights to save New York or Batman fights to save Gotham or Google fights to index all the world's information for us. Um, I think I might have an inkling what your answer might be, but what do you, what is it that, uh, that take my face off fights for? Um, the planet, you know, um, it's, <laughs> I, I, That's I, what I was guessing. I, yeah. Um, I overwhelm is a terrible thing. I think the people who are not concerned about the planet are overwhelmed by the idea. I think people who are concerned for the planet are overwhelmed by the idea and um, frightening people with the potential enormity, enormity of the problem is no fun and it's not effective. It doesn't do anything. I'm, I'm at, the, at the heart of everything, I'm how, how are we gonna do something? And I want to feel like I'm doing something, but I want to feel like I'm doing something without making everyone in my life miserable by screaming all the time. I don't want um, my children to grow up with a mother who's wringing her hands about the planet every day. So I want to channel my concern into something that's actually productive. And because I believe that the point of life is to be happy and to help other people, I want to channel it into something that is also creative and uses my talents and my abilities to their best, um, best level. And so for me, uh, this combines a lot of different skills I have, a lot of different interests I have with a thing that I kind of think the most it's literally to me right now to make the world a better place i think the most important thing we do is is ensure that the world exists and um i can't solve all the problems but i've got a really good idea for one of them and so that's that's what i'm doing yeah and that uh it ties right into the whole premise of this show because one of the things that i i'm firmly believer 
in is that uh, entrepreneurs are the ones who make the world go round and they solve all the world's problems. And I think the best way that we're going to tackle issues like climate change and taking care of our planet is going to be at the hands of entrepreneurs who are solving the biggest problems. Um, so personally for me, thank you for doing what you're doing. I really appreciate it. I think it's a, I think that's, it's the way that we're going to solve the problems is more people like you doing what you do. Thanks. I, I hope you're right. I hope everything gets solved very quickly. <laughs> yeah. If only we could make it all solved yesterday, right. And then we'd have no more problems, but you know, the, the, the reality is, is, um, and we, I see this all the time because what, what I do in my business is, is marketing, right? We help teach people how to, how to accomplish things. Um, you know, work with a lot of expert brands and educational brands. And anytime you teach someone how to do something and they end up in a new spot in their life, you don't, you, you solve one set of problems and create a new set of problems, right? So generally it's just a higher level of problem, right? So, you know, if, if you win the lottery, the day before you won the lottery, you had money problems and the day after you won the lottery you have money management problems right yeah. so so whatever problems we solve um will probably create a new higher level of problem and then we'll have a new generation of entrepreneurs who have to come in and figure out how to solve those things true true so yeah so I'm going to talk a little bit about your hero's tool belt, right? So this is more practical, right? Maybe you have a big th magical hammer like Thor or a bulletproof vest like your neighborhood police officer, or maybe you just really like the way Evernote helps you keep everything together. What are some of the practical tools you use on a daily business or daily, a daily business, a daily basis to run your business, right? That actually make your, um, make your, your business and your brand a real thing. Well, I mean, the obvious one is the, the basic one is really boring. Google calendar. <laughs> I know that's boring. You, no, okay. no, that's that is actually not boring. And you would be surprised the vast number of interviews we've done, something like eighty percent of them, the calendar is the thing that comes up the most often. Yeah, I mean, um, as kind of an idea person, uh, I can get lost in my ideas all the time. And if I didn't have that like, Google Calendar, uh, where the actual appointments and then like the critical to dos. So for me, I actually book the critical to dos in the calendar. Um, then I have a little learn that comes up. Um, now, I've been known to ignore them, but pretty much if I'm really stuck in an idea and I'm working on something, but it's the calendar. Um, and there's, so, so, you know, I talked earlier about being a good student and getting stuck and doing things like everybody else does. Um, I have an exercise that I like to do when I feel like I'm either too stuck in those kinds of weeds or there are too many choices in front of me and I don't know what to do first. And also, I'm going to tell a super quick story. The other day, a friend of mine was telling me that she feels like a bad human being if she goes to bed and do everything on her to-do list. Got into huge laughter. I was like, how many things are on your to-do list? She's like, well, typically 12. I was like, okay, well, mine's got like 200. Uh, but even if mine had 12, I don't think I'd be getting to everything on there. Because um, for me, about... I have an endless number of things that need to be done at any time. And as an entrepreneur, there are endless things that I could choose to put my attention yeah, to. Like and I just have to the most worthwhile. And so I have to constantly prioritize. And so they're usually the priority is clear. Um, it depends of what has to get done and what, what, where am I going to make some small amount of progress in my business today? Because it's really easy to just spin your wheels and, and just do the to-dos constantly. How am I going to actually do something to move me forward? And if I'm at a point where there are either too many options and I don't know which to do, I feel like I don't have any ideas on how to move it forward. I'm just stuck in the emails and the, the to-dos. Um, 
I actually just do an exercise from the Passion Planner calendar. Do you know that one? I have not heard of it now. Yeah, I love it. Um, I mean, there's so many great kind of date books slash organizer slash little mini self-help tool things out there. This is one of these calendars. I've got all my old ones sitting on my bookshelf here. Um, it's called the Passion Planner, and it's a, a lady in San Diego started, I think, as a Kickstarter. And so it takes you through, it talks about prioritizing your life. And it talks about where do you want to be in three months, three years, what do you, where do you want to be in the rest of your life? What are your goals? And it's got a little timed exercise, and it says, what do you want your life to look at at these time points? And then it says, okay, now go back and pick, I think, I think she, there's a little bit of latitude, but basically she, she suggests that you pick what would be the game changer their one three month set of what, what, what's the one thing, if you could get that done on that list, it would make the biggest change in life. Now you're going to go back and you're going to map out um, either backwards. Here's, here's where it is and here's how I'm going to get there or forwards. And I often find that I want for my business, for me, whatever, I don't actually know how to get there. Um, that stops a lot of people from even starting, but I find that yeah. I usually punches or I know the first to getting there or I've, I've got some ideas and if I start to follow those ideas then that reveals some more information and more information so I actually I love my practical Google Calendar but then I love the kind of big big picture exercise of reminding myself what is it I really want what is it I'm really trying to do where do I think things should be in these amounts of time and how am I gonna get very nebulous big picture exercise and then you start the passion planner helps you break it down by month and by week, and then you're going and you're you're blocking out parts of your calendar based on the exercise that you just did. So I find that centering. Yeah, and it seems like it'd be a, a really good way to, um, you know, because I, for one, like totally agree. You don't always know how you're going to get where you want to go, um, but if you don't move at all, you'll never get there. Right. So sometimes it's just taking the steps, right? The first step. And maybe it's a little bit of research here. It's a little bit of questioning there. Maybe it's calling someone up and maybe it, like, they're like nebulous actions even right at the beginning. Cause you don't really know how you're going to get to where you're going to go. But it's like, once you start the journey, it starts, the path starts to become clearer as you get further along on it. So it's a, it's a cool way to think about it. Like, Hey, I'm, I'm going to put a dot on the map and we're just going to start walking that general direction. <laughs> Um, and then you start putting things in the calendar. Um, anyways, I think it's a, um, it's a good practical way to, uh, to sort of manage that. I don't know what you'd call it. Like the idea that we don't, you don't really have a clear path to get from where you are to where you want to go, but you know, you have to get there somehow. So you might as well start, you know, hacking at the weeds and going forward. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And when, you know, you can't see the path for the weeds, you can kind of like, you know, helicopter out, get to a higher view, kind of look at it for a while and be like, oh wait, I could I could go research over there. I could Google that term. I can I can ask someone so to have coffee with and then it'll lead you closer. Yeah. The new show will be right back. Are you tired of trying to write webinars that don't consistently convert? How would you like to have a webinar that effortlessly created sales in your online business? You can. Introducing the Webinar Alchemy Workshop. Webinar Alchemy Workshop is an online masterclass that will help you write incredibly persuasive webinars for your online courses quickly and easily. Using what you learn in this class, you can build a webinar that educates your entire audience while still creating sales. For a limited time, you can purchase this masterclass for only $7, and you'll get the exact framework I've personally used to help my clients sell more than a million dollars worth of online coaching and training just over the last year. Simply text the word ALCHEMY, A-L-C-H-E-M-Y, to 444-999, and I'll send you all the details.
music is by Purple Planet Music. Visit www.purple-planet.com. And now, Absolutely. back to the show. So, the next question I have for you is about your own personal heroes. Right, so Frodo had Gandalf, Luke had Obi-Wan, Robert Kiyosaki had his rich dad. Who were some of your heroes? Were they real-life mentors? Were they speakers or authors, peers who were just a few years ahead of you? And how important were they to what you've accomplished so far? I have a couple and they change often. I have to say the most steadfast one, who I'm going to cheer up, is my mom. Sorry, I cheer up easily. No problem. My mom grew up uh, in incredibly difficult circumstances and wound up putting herself and her siblings through school, uh, helped my father go through school, single-handedly supports so many people. She, she, she grew out of very difficult circumstances, and she probably wanted to be a playwright, I think. And she never really did that. She wanted going into business and actually an entire new type, uh, you know, telemarketing outsourcing, where you have somebody else handle mm -hmm. your calls if you're a large company. She's actually one of the inventors yeah. of that entire industry. Um, she was working oh, cool. at American Airlines as a manager for reservations and noticed that at different times of day, they didn't get many reservations calls and that they had all these, this incredibly expensive equipment that could possibly be put to use for another company that maybe tended to get calls at those times. So she wound up turning this um, into an expert area of expertise and became the world's most respected consulting practice dealing with issues large scale, scale customer operations. And knowing what I do, just even remembering what growing up in my house before she'd accomplished all these things. How she did that as a female who only had a bachelor's degree because she put everybody else through school. Um, and how she raised so many kids and then paid for so many other relatives and put us all amazing educations. I watched, she's just unbelievable. And she just broke her hip. And of course, she's up and uh, walking and doing things in no time. And she'll be back to her international travel schedule any day now. So that's, that's the most fundamental. It's like, man, if that lady can do that, I have zero excuse for anything hard. Um, and the next, I love stories of the non-flash and pan, the non-idiot success stories, especially with entrepreneurship being kind of like, popular and a big deal these days. There's so many fun, awesome stories about somebody who had a great idea and just like did and, you know, made a lot of money or sold the company and had a successful exit really fast. And that's great. And I'm really happy for them. Um, but I find the, the stories of people who had setbacks from her interesting, compelling, inspiring, having met some of the flashes in the pans and some of the people who've had the more Rocky starts. Um, I find the people with the rocky starts to be m much more personally inspiring and much more to kind of my whole sense of what I think is very interesting in a person. So I love yeah. to a lot of uh, podcast appearances that Jackie Kern Lima has done lately. She's the founder of It Cosmetics. She mm -hmm. started a cosmetics company. Um, at the time going on QVC, she said her website was selling was making about one sale a day and she still took and that was after years of struggle and then she went on qvc and because vulnerable she was and how she presented her story and her own struggle with her skin and what her makeup did for it um it spoke to people and it really turned business around and then i'm i'm sure she had many setbacks after that but she has weathered them and she's just exited the company something new and amazing she's all about uh, empowering people so i love her story um I love, I love entrepreneurs who've, who've had setbacks, be it 
my current big one. I, I, I'm not so interested in the ones who, who did some um, fast. You know? Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I know it's because <laughs> my favorite story recently, a couple of weeks ago, we were uh, at Walmart going to grocery shopping and you know, we, we had stopped by the McDonald's just to eat something. So we weren't starving when we were grocery shopping because you know, it's always a bad idea to starve while grocery shopping. Yeah. Um, so, and um, a bunch of, uh, you know, young teenagers came in on their uh, scooters and like they were, you know, on the world kind of thing. And you could tell who the obvious ringleader was and he was like cussing up a storm. And my wife and I laughed because he's like, I don't know, 12 or 13 years old. And we're like, he hasn't earned those words yet. Right? He hasn't, he hasn't been through enough crap in life to earn those words. And it almost feels like, like you, you see the entrepreneurs who just go into a marketplace and they just rock it right to the top and make a bunch of money and exit. You're like, you, for those of us who have to struggle through growing our business, we're like, oh, you didn't, you didn't earn it. Like you didn't do the hard work. <laughs> you got lucky. <laughs> Maybe, yeah, kind of. And I, I don't want to dismiss them because um, I yeah. know. I totally, I totally get it. Like it's cool, but great decision had an excellent instinct or they got lucky. I mean, it's not, it's not that it's, I don't, I, I understand what you're saying. I tend to feel the same way. Um, but on the same, on the other hand, Hey, if mine worked quickly, Oh, I'd be, you know, I'd be thrilled. You know, if, we wouldn't, uh, we wouldn't complain if, I, if we hit the, uh, if we hit the flash in the pan, that's for sure. No, no. <laughs> uh, but at the same time, I, like I get, I get it when it's, when it comes to like, what's more inspiring, like, you, you can't replicate that, right? You can't replicate that they were just in the right place at the right time with the right instinct. But the hard work and the dedication to make something happen despite problems is something that you can replicate. It's something that you can make happen in your business. That's, that's an excellent point. Uh, also, you know, so my, my previous life, I was a classical musician. And that is, uh, I, somebody once, in, in, I, I think this is true, out that it's actually harder to get an orchestra job that pays ten thousand dollars a year it's harder to do that than it is to get into the nfl it is an extremely pulling wow. specific um field that requires diligence and incredible discipline and you have to be an amazing self-starter it, it's kind of like training to be a golfer but if you win if you win a lot of money so yeah um and you can be really talented, It'd be horrible at taking orchestra auditions to get into an orchestra. You can be, no, you actually can't be who's really good at taking orchestra auditions. That's not really possible. But so like this difference between talent and work, you know, I started off as a really talented musician and then I had, I, I had learned a large hard, hard lesson that that wasn't enough. That wasn't going to get me in mm -hmm. the New York Philharmonic. And um, to me, that was a, it was hard. It was a, fascinating journey it was amazing and so i'm super into like whatever gets you forward and being creative about how to get there because i didn't want to spend my life sitting in a practice room because frankly to me that was boring but i still wanted to do well and um so yes you cannot replicate the flash in the pan but you can find a way to replicate the, the long journey which yeah, to me seems that's, more that's one of the uh, the lessons i was talking to my son about a couple of years ago he was in a, a gymnastics class with a buddy of his and, you know, I think they were like six or seven at the time. And his, his little friend is like a natural born gymnast. 
like one of those kids that like at seven years old can do a back handspring back tuck with like perfect form and perfectly pointed toes and just like stick his landing every time and you're like normal people have to learn how to do that and here you are at seven you know acting like a 13 or 14 year old gymnast who's been doing it his whole life right <laughs> and my son is working on these things and he's like I don't understand how come I have to try so hard and he just gets it right he can just do it um and and I had to have the discussion. I was like, but the, what was interesting is watching them is because he was, his friend was so good at it, like, cause it was so naturally talented. He didn't care. Right? He had no work ethic for it. Um, and um, because he didn't have to try. And I was like, and, he, and my son does. And I had told him at the time, and I still tell him this regularly. I was like the, if, if you guys were ever to get into a competitive space, right? Like together and compete against each other, you would destroy him because you could you would work him under a table and talent will only take you so far right um and it's you know when you put talent and work ethic together you get olympians <laughs> right but but you can you can get really far on just work ethic um and you know develop the skill set um and if you have the talent but not the work ethic you're not going to get far at all i have a total thing talent can be a serious set for most people over the long term it's only really mm -hmm. fun a kid because if you if nobody is is telling you or if nobody's steering you to an area you either have to learn or somebody who had to seriously work knowing one of the most complicated difficult things in the world it's a mental puzzle and it's a muscle and you have to develop the understanding of how to solve that puzzle and you have to develop the mental muscle to be able to stand to do it the resilience the stamina mm -hmm. So I, I actually kind of feel bad. I try to never tell my children, oh, wow, you're so good at that. Or you're just a natural. Yeah. I hate the term natural. I, it, it, the person maybe you're not, but that has nothing to do. And I, I feel like it's long-term demotivator. And they, mm -hmm. they do things for the praise rather than for the, the sense of fulfillment you get in working. And so my kids are naturally good or not good at various things, but we try to make every piece of praise about the effort put into it, how hard they worked, how hard they paid yeah. attention, you know, how much they improved. Um, because I can see I, I, was, I was praised by well-meaning people for the things I was good at. And it took me a little while to figure out that that, that wasn't going to cut. Yeah, yeah. And that's a hard lesson as a parent to learn too, is like, how do you actually, how do you praise the right things that are actually going to, you know, um, incentivize the the kind of behavior you know is going to have the most positive impact on their lives and the other thing I've realized is that you know even if I screwed up royally my kids would probably still be fine because I was all right and I got praised for things I was good <laughs> but you know we're just yeah. we're working on uh, you know working on giving our kids unfair advantage right so um, <laughs> so uh, you know whatever whatever goes into that so let's go ahead. I want to um, bring up listeners and talk about your guiding principles. What are the top one or two principles or actions you use sort of on a daily basis that you think contribute to the success and influence that your company enjoys today? Maybe some stuff that you wish you had known or wish you were doing when you first started out on your hero's journey. Okay, people say this, but it, it takes like, I feel like a lot of epiphany to understand what it can truly mean to them. The whole stay true to yourself, it sounds so glib, it sounds pithy, but what is that means not coming up with marketing messages, but 
It means don't, don't come up with marketing messages just because of what everybody else says. It means don't try to look away because you think you're supposed to. It means um, don't act like your company cares about things it doesn't. Um, so I have, you know, my husband jokes that I'm, he says I'm, I'm like a lawyer. I'm always like being so specific. Um, there's there's a, something about integrity and honesty. And the times when I have been less happy working on my business, was in my business, I, I, I felt like I had to look like some other beauty companies um, who did things certain ways. And it, it felt bad. And I asked other people to help me with parts of that because I, I just couldn't even speak. I could not do it. And over time, I have dabbled in every, every area of my business myself, sometimes out of budget constraints, because I just didn't have money to hire somebody. Uh, sometimes because I wanted to learn more. Sometimes because I was trying to challenge myself because I wasn't good at that kind of thing and I thought it'd be better if I understood it better. Um, and I am always so much happier when in every area I'm saying and doing the things that feel better for me. And I think it's also challenging for people sometimes because sometimes they don't really know what they want to do or say. They don't even know what's the most true to them. So it can be tricky. So that's a guiding principle. It's, it's kind of like relating integrity and honesty with, with like actually being true to yourself. And uh, what yeah. does that mean in terms of how you actually conduct yourself in your business every day? I mean, that means don't use a salutation, if, uh, a snippy, happy, you know, salutation in emails if that's not what you would say in person. It, things like that. It means don't. I, like right now, I really would like to change my headshot because I don't really feel like headshot is me. Um, not, not to mention my hair color has changed. But it's silly things like that, just having everything line up and, and feeling true to you. It, it, it's, it, everything goes better and everything feels better. It's, a, um, it's one of those things that I, I include in my, I have an umbrella of things that I consider unconscious trust signals, right? Things that, that your customers they recognize, but they wouldn't be able to tell you that they're recognizing them, right? So like the, the, you know, from a very practical standpoint, if you have a headline font that you use in all your branding, and if you use it consistently across all of the things that your clients interact with, that's an unconscious trust signal that you have your shit together, right? And they might not be able to look at all your marketing pieces and be like, oh, look, they're using the same font the same way in all their pieces, so I trust them as a brand more, right? They're not gonna be able to see that. Um, but it's the same type of thing, right? We have we have an intuition about each other because you know a company isn't a real thing. A company is, it's a word we use to describe a group of people trying to solve a problem with products and services, right? And so it's, it's, it's the people that are behind it and being true to those things. And if you're, if you're not, if you're fake, if you are trying to present yourself as someone you're not, um, we'll pick up on that. Your customers will pick up on that. The market will pick up on that. Um, and you know, probably won't treat you kindly for it. <laughs> Or you just you become another piece of noise because there's so much of that, you know. It, it's like yeah. Again, this sounds pithy, but to, to grab people's attention these days, you have to seem real, and you can either seem real or you can be real, and it's a lot easier and a lot more fun to be to be real. I and like I, that. I, I like that. You can seem real or you can be real. <laughs> I, I have I have straight up failed at that sometimes, um, you know, especially if I hired a contract contractor to do a certain thing for me and it, it's not their fault yeah they're doing it they're, they're acting on my behalf they're doing their um but sometimes they weren't the perfect person for the job or sometimes they were just doing a job it seemed yeah 
Cool. And it's the uh, it's it's interesting too because it's interesting too because when you're oh, um, you. partic particularly when you're hiring people, it's hard to um, it's hard to like make sure that they are treating your brand the way that you would treat your brand. Um, so you know that's when you have to like think about when does it make sense to bring stuff in house and when does it make sense to hire contractors and how do you get contractors to you know represent your brand the way you want.